Welcome to Day 2 Cloud, and today we've got kind of a very special edition. Ned and I were invited to host a panel discussion at VMworld 2021, and we did an interview with a couple of folks who are using VMware Cloud services as a way to move them along their cloud journey. And we got uh, right into an interesting discussion, Ned, didn't we? We sure did. And it was an authentic discussion because these are customers who are currently using the solution. And sometimes it was awesome and sometimes they ran into some issues. So it was really cool to hear how they're using it and how their cloud journey has progressed. Yeah, and 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 you say authentic because it was. VMware let us have a real discussion where it was a bit of a warts and all conversation. Some elements were really great for these folks and some things were less great. And we got into some of those details with VMware's blessing, which was really nice. So enjoy this VMworld panel discussion. Uh, we're going to step right into it and you're going to hear who the guests are and their backgrounds right about now. Mari Lobo is the Director of IT Cloud Infrastructure Services over at the University of Miami, Florida. And Vesko Padovanov, he is the Managing, Senior Managing Director, Solution, Strategy, and Architecture at Sterling National Bank. And away we go. So go ahead, Ethan, over to you. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the panel here. I am Ethan Banks, co-host of the Day 2 Cloud podcast with Ned Bellavance. You can find out more about that at day 2 Cloud. .io. We are part of the Packet Pushers podcast network. Jumping into the conversation today, we want to dive into how these folks are uh, using, using VMC. So, uh, Mari, let's start with you. Would you tell us a bit about your organization and the existing, well, what you're doing on-premises, what you're doing in cloud, uh, what kind of applications you're running, how do you decide where to run an application? G give us that background, would you? So the University of Miami is a private university. We have, you know, about 15,000 students and um, 5,000 employees. We um, primarily run enterprise applications for the university. Um, that includes uh, authentication, domain services, and specific departmental applications, as well as um, manage the data centers and stuff like that. Um, as far as our environment, we're probably about 70-30 on-prem versus cloud. Uh, we've been running in Azure for about seven years now, and it started off with 30 uh, native Azure VMs, and now we're running about 500 uh, resources in Azure, whether they be IaaS or PaaS. So that 70% is on-premises and the 30% the cloud or the other way around? The first way, the 70% on-prem. Got it. Okay. Okay. Busy. A lot of students, uh, a lot of applications to support. Yep. And, uh, and Vesco, we want that same background from you. So Sterling National Bank serves uh, consumers and businesses primarily in the New York metro and the Hudson Valley region. We also have a specialty finance business that serves businesses nationwide. Uh, we are running mostly financial services applications, things like loan origination, credit, uh, deposits, uh, so on. Recently, uh, in a white paper with VMware and Deloitte, uh, we're claiming to be the first uh, traditional bank to be 100% uh, in public cloud, all of our applications. Oh, the wow. majority running on VMware cloud, probably 90%. Okay, so in terms of 
you know, I, I don't want to call it traditional because it is VMware in the cloud, but you're running 90% of your workloads there and another, say, about 10% is running on what would be like sort of cloud native. Is that that's the correct breakdown? In terms of applications, we host, yes, uh, we also have a lot of SaaS applications. Uh, and the traditional part is for, for us being a traditional type of bank, uh, retail brick and mortar, not uh, new generation fintech. It's those you would expect to be from the ground up built in the cloud, right? Right. So these were applications that were hosted in a data center somewhere initially. Yep. And you made the decision to migrate those applications to a, a VMware platform running in a cloud. Um, did, did you consider making the move to just the, the native platform? And what went to the decision of saying, hey, this makes more sense to stay on a VMware platform? We did, uh, of course. Being in the business of uh, running IT, our primary concern is um, availability, no business disruption, uh, maintaining a client experience uh, to the highest possible degree. So from that perspective, the easiest path to a migration uh, in our assessment was with uh, VMware Cloud. And that would yeah. still allow us to get out of the data center business. Right, you got a data center, but you still have that consistency uh, and predictability, probably, that your customers are uh, probably yeah, looking uh, for. At its most <laughs> basic, is just a more complicated and uh, evolved vMotion. Okay, Mario. Well, I'm I'm curious. Uh, you said seventy percent is still on prem. What what is driving that decision to keep those applications on prem as opposed to making the move to the cloud? Some of those applications that are on-prem are actually applications that can't be um, moved to the cloud because of latency. So, for instance, uh, you know, there's one application that that handles um, access control to even the dorms or, or just doors in general. That one, for instance, could never be cloudified, so to speak, whether it's um, in VMware Cloud, even though we did think about it or a native cloud, just because of the, the, any kind of hiccup in, in network connectivity would cause a major issue on campus. Yeah, you yeah, can't like, make light go any faster, right? Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. latency is in just adding too many milliseconds for that, you know, card swipe or whatever exactly. to, to allow people in, or, or, or worse yet, some kind of a network outage and you can't get a, a card swipe to authenticate against anything at all. Exactly, exactly. Ask Facebook about that. Yeah. They, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they have to check in every so often. And if they don't check in, they lose all their, their information. So that causes an issue. Um, other than that, you know, it really has to do with, with the comfort level of the developers or the application owners, um, whether they want to be kind of have it right there next to them versus be able to put it in the cloud. So we've done a lot of work with trying to convince them of um, first, you know, obviously we did like the IaaS model, the lift and shift, and little by little, we've kind of gone into the PaaS model. Now that VMware Cloud is available, we've been doing some changes where we'll move um, a, a VM from on-prem to the cloud. And there's still a little bit of finagling that we have to do, but for the most part, it's been one of the ways that we can introduce it to people and kind of help them have this comfort level. Of, hey, you know, it's somewhere else, but we still have access to it. 
is, is that because they're comfortable with, you know, VMware on-premises and how that works and they're particular about the infrastructure itself or just the nebulous concept of, oh, it's in the cloud makes them nervous? I think a little bit of both. Um, I think part of it is they are more comfortable with VMware. They understand how VMware works. So, and some of them are actually like OBF files, like um, uh, virtual appliances. So that's mm -hmm. part of it too, right? Um, and then, and then when it comes to to the whole nebulous of of, of being in the cloud, I think we've kind of gotten past that since we've been doing this for about seven years. But there's still some, you know, hesitancy when it comes to certain application owners um, as to whether their application can be running in the cloud or or whether the application itself, the 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 vendor will allow it or bless it in the cloud and support it in the cloud. So, so you've got 15,000 students back on campus, Mari, what, but you, you must not have for a while with, with the pandemic and, and COVID and so on. And I'm guessing there are a lot of people maybe not on campus that were, what changed in your environment to deal with that? And did that change? Is everything like back to the way it was, or is that a new strategic initiative going forward now because of COVID? During COVID, we went down to, I think there was a few months where there was no one on campus. Then we had kind of a mixed, last school year, there was like a mix of hybrid on campus and then fully remote students. Um, for the most part, anybody on the corporate side of UM was off campus. So we were remote, we still kind of are. Um, and the faculty and uh, student facing uh, staff are back on campus now. So when it comes to the campus itself, it's pretty much back to normal. It's more the car the corporate arm that is still in a weird like remote stage. So we're still kind of figuring out whether we're going to be hybrid, whether we're going to be remote, um, whether some employees are going to be completely remote or not. It's still in in that kind of flux right now, like most organizations. Right. Did that change your strategy at all when you were looking and evaluating new applications to roll out, knowing that you're going to be, you know, mostly or entirely remote from where the data center is? Yes, definitely. I mean, it, it definitely um, helped us leverage cloud more and it helped people understand what we were doing with the cloud. So we were able to, you know, spin up things without really having to go into into the office to actually plug in place, you know, kind of actually rack and stack stuff. Right. Right. Um, and that was, that was awesome. You know, not having to do that. We still had some of that going on, but for some of the, the, the necessities during the major lockdown, we didn't have to do that. We didn't have to go and, and acquire um, any physical hardware. We just were able to do it on, on Azure, whether it be with the VMware cloud um, platform or just a native. If everybody's working remotely anyway, that whole latency argument can can go away for a lot of applications, yeah? For some of them, yeah. Yeah, for a lot of them. And we've been little by little trying to move those to the cloud, whether it be um, a SaaS model or, or, or in Azure. Right. Yeah, I actually worked in higher ed for a little bit as a systems administrator. And there were a few people who really wanted that box like they could walk down the hall and touch the sunbox that was running their application. And if they couldn't do that, they got very upset. And then we did this whole data center migration to uh, a facility that was like 50 miles away. And suddenly none of them could touch it. And that changed 
the dynamic completely uh, in a good way. In a good way, I think. it's still the same. Vesco, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm I'm curious in terms of your choice to go 100% public cloud. Was that process accelerated by the pandemic, or were you at that state prior to the pandemic happening? We were at that uh, first phase of our digital transformation prior to the pandemic. The pandemic itself had minimal impact on the overall strategy. Um, we kicked off uh, phase one around early November 2019. Um, so by the time the pandemic started, we were already underway. Plans were in place. Uh, it's complicated them slightly so instead of uh, planning migrations and migration waves uh, in a room together everyone being remote but outside of um, having to adjust communication collaboration patterns uh, there was no other meaningful impact okay did it accelerate the process that you were maybe in a larger hurry to get everything moved into uh, vmware on azure no, no, we had a one-year timeline. We hit it uh, pretty much uh, straight on the mark. Um, we closed the last migration wave uh, two weeks before the deadline. Hmm. Okay, that's nice to hit the deadline, right? <laughs> How did you guys move that yeah. fast, Vescode, to move all those applications in in that sort of a timeline? Was it because it, you, you were staying in the VMware environment? Because uh, the flip side of this is what what some companies are doing is if they if they can figure out how they will refactor their apps into cloud native. Um, but I'm guessing you didn't do that for a lot, just based on the timeline you're describing. Yeah, exactly. It would have been impossible to refactor them within a year. Um, as I said, it's a lot more technically involved uh, vMotion, but uh, you can extend your network into the VMware cloud. So basically you don't have to change IP addresses uh, domain names for anything, uh, just move it across. Uh, we do have to do it in waves uh, for latency bandwidth uh, purposes. Waves as in this um, is a group of apps we have to move together. They've got to go together. We can't split them up. They have by, to uh, go together, yep. Uh, and there is a capacity limitation on how many you can move in the same wave. Uh, mm. Because they have to migrate, uh, then uh, you have to set up uh, disaster recovery uh, within the same uh, weekend window, basically. Uh, we have to mobilize testers to test all the applications to make sure not just that they're up and learning, but also that uh, user-client experience is uh, intact. So not a lot of time. That's why they were broken into multiple waves uh, every weekend from March uh, onwards, more mm. or less. Yeah, sounds like it was more of a logistics uh, problem than it was a technology yep. problem. Like the technology yep. was like, yeah, we got that part, but now we got to get all these people together and get all the testing done. Yeah, and yep. I've been through a few DR tests and those are always like a big brouhaha and it's usually getting all the people together. And I got to imagine a large scale migration like this is like doing a DR exercise every other weekend. Yeah, it's uh, planning, testing, and coordination, especially with uh, businesses, application owners, uh, that were the biggest uh, challenges, not the technology. Uh, Vesco, you mentioned extending your IP network from on-premises up to the cloud so you could keep the same IP address. Did I hear that right? Yep. Okay, from a networking perspective, that scares me a lot. Um, so did you run into any technical challenges when you extend one IP network between the two sites like that? 
Not in the extension itself. Extension works fine by now. Uh, first VXLAN is uh, tested uh, well understood and then baked into the hypervisor with uh, HCX. So that worked well. We had, I guess, again, uh, planning relate the challenge with uh, capacity. At one point, we hit capacity limitation, not because uh, of bandwidth, but because we were running too many concurrent sessions. Mm -hmm. uh, we didn't uh, factor in that uh, regular backups would kick in in the same change window uh, over the same weekend. <laughs> Basically, more than doubling the number of active sessions at the same time. So we just had to upgrade the appliances to the next uh, size. So okay. when you said uh, VXLAN and then using the uh, VMware HCX product to do the extension, now I'm not scared anymore because I actually understand how that architecture works and keeps you uh, keeps you safe. Uh, VXLAN, particularly, I uh, I get it, so I feel better now uh, that you're doing <laughs> it that way. <laughs> now you said after the migration, you also were reprotecting those VMs uh, with the with disaster recovery after the migration, and that had to happen in the same weekend as the migration itself. Yeah, we're using a primary and secondary uh, software-defined data center. Uh, so they have to sync between the primary and the secondary. Okay. And those are in two different geographic regions? Yeah. Okay. Mari, are you guys doing anything cloud-native um, where you or you are looking to do something cloud-native as opposed to keeping things in the you know, strictly the VMware form factor? The majority of what we have in the cloud is cloud-native. Um, VMware, we just deployed the AVS stack about, we're probably nine months in or six, a little more than six months in at this point um, since we completely deployed it. So the majority of what we have when it comes to IaaS and PaaS is in, in, in Azure Native. And that's because we've been there for about seven years. So AVS is fairly new compared to, to <laughs> Native. Yeah, I was going to say, if you've been in Azure for that long, you've seen some pretty significant transitions in Azure oh, yeah. itself. <laughs> you were probably back in the old service model before they moved to uh, to the resource um, manager. Yeah, oh. we actually had uh, some stuff that was still in Classic last year that we, we were like pushing to get out of Classic because it was, you know, the developers were like dragging their feet on it. Yeah, yeah. Well, if it works, why why move it? Why change it, right? They, that's their their priority is to keep things working for whoever's uh, consuming that application. Yeah. Is the, is the plan long-term to first move applications that are currently on-prem to AVS to get developers comfortable and then maybe use that as a springboard to go cloud-native? Or do you imagine that some applications will just remain on the AVS platform long-term? Um, I think it depends, like, you know, like the virtual applications or the, the I mean, the virtual appliances that mm -hmm. like for instance our network team uses for firewalls um that's one of the ones that we put into avs because it didn't get the same um bandwidth with the 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 azure native version um and when we put it into avs we got the bandwidth that they were expecting so things like that i think it really depends on the application or the appliance in this case how it really uses um, Azure's native environment versus AVS and, and whether it can tap into the underlying um, hardware or not. And that will make our decision. Um, but basically, I think 
we really are kind of moving towards uh, a lot more kind of PaaS type situations where we can use the efficiencies of cloud and AVS would be more for things that just really can't be changed right now or in the near future. Right, right. I've definitely encountered that where the vendor is supplying that appliance and that's what you got. So yeah. <laughs> you're going to have to make do with it. We've got a question that's come in that would be uh, good to share here uh, from Jeffrey. Many of our customers are looking to logically, architecturally extend their on-prem infrastructure into the cloud without changing too much of the tech stack, the management tooling, operations, and so on. So it gives an example here. If they are using Fortinet on-prem and they don't want to use the NSX firewall and VMware cloud because this complicates operations, uh, this could go for this goes for many of the third-party core networking infrastructure services. How, how have you folks, Vesco and Mari, how have you dealt with these sorts of issues? Exactly as uh, Jeffrey points out, we didn't actually change uh, any of the stack. Uh, we were running on VMware hypervisors in the data centers before. It's more or less the same just in uh, somebody else's data center. Firewalls that uh, we used on-premise are the same firewalls, just virtualized. Same. We actually the same rule sets, same. some modifications, but that's it, just some modifications to the rule sets. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we're using the same thing. Actually, um, one of the things that we found was that the NXS firewall actually um, hindered some of the applications, the way that they um, transfer over client IPs or don't transfer client IPs was an issue for us. So we had to use um, our Juniper firewall instead. And that actually has worked for us and for those applications that we were having issues with in ABS. Okay, so the biggest change is you're just going from a potentially physical appliance to a virtual appliance in VMware, but I, all the major networking vendors have a virtual and physical version Correct. of their appliance. It sounds yeah. like that, that transition wasn't especially hard. Were there any gotchas that you ran into in terms of how those virtual appliances run or are deployed? Not really. They deploy the same way as, as they would on-prem. On um, the one thing that would be a gotcha would be that sometimes at least on the Azure version of, of VMware, um, some of the features were not on by default for us to be able to administer. So we would have to work with support to have them turned on, give us like, you know, a, a, a time window of, use, you know, having that, that, that permission, I guess you could call it, and then mm -hmm. be able to change whatever settings we needed to change to, to do whatever we needed to do. Uh, interesting. So they give you just a time-bounded permissions. You're, for the next hour, you can toggle this switch. And then after Correct. that hour, that ability goes away. Yeah. And I think they actually, my systems architect usually works with them. They actually do like a screen share, like watch him like a, a Zoom or something <laughs> to make sure he doesn't break anything or whatever. Right, right. Because they're managing a decent portion of the platform. So they want to make sure you're not going to do anything that breaks their ability to manage that platform. Correct. Aside from that, the feature set is is pretty much the same. It's just that some things are turned off for you, the user. You okay. don't have the same um, concept of a traditional DMZ sandwich between two firewalls. So we had to mm. re-architect it and just adjust our uh, designs and processes uh, to fit in that model. Achieve the same security objectives, just in a slightly different way. But considering some of the 
design and architecture requirements that you're dealing with here. Did you think about running VMware Cloud on on your own gear, maybe co-located or something like that, or on-prem as opposed to hosting it in a public cloud? I mean, you're, you're both running in public cloud, so how did how did you decide to end up running VMware Cloud there? In our case, uh, we don't want to be in the data center management business. So the power in cooling, real estate, uh, all of that uh, has to be, rather have somebody else do it. <laughs> Simple enough. Not, so not even Colo, though? You just you really just didn't want to have to touch physical gear at all, Vesco? Yep. Uh, and that was particularly helpful during COVID because we didn't have to send on-site engineers uh, to data centers and so on. For us, it was that we were um, actually considering getting rid of our colo or, or, or downsizing. So um, when the opportunity came up that, that AVS was going to be made available, we decided to take it so that we could start testing it, not only for you know the fact that we didn't want to continue putting stuff into this colo, but also um, to have a third region because Miami is you know, hurricane alley, so to speak. And, and it'd be nice to know that there was something somewhere else where it might not be affected, even though, I mean, most of the data centers here are whatever category, whatever windproof or whatever, but still, you know, a major, major hurricane could take out the power grid or whatever. And, right. and, and we'd still be affected. So this was one of those opportunities, um, to show that we could have a third, you know, region outside of Miami, outside of Florida, and and be able to still use um, the same hardware, so to speak, that we have on prem. No, no, you're in Azure, Mari, and is that because you had history with Azure, and so you decided to keep your VMware Cloud install going on Azure, or was there some specific reason you picked that instead of AWS, let's say? The university has a really strong partnership with Microsoft. So we, you know, started off in Azure. Um, we have a very tiny footprint in AWS. Um, so since our majority of our footprint was in Azure, we decided to just stick to Azure. Okay. How much do the native contracts in Azure bleed into AVS? Does it use things like Azure AD or is it really just, you know, it's running in an Azure data center and that's all the interaction there is? No, there's interaction. I mean, it uses Azure AD. We do have, um, uh, I think, at least two domain controllers that are living inside the stack as well. Um, but it does use Azure AD. It uses um, other features outside of in the Azure ecosystem. So we can actually tap into storage um, mm. and stuff like that. Okay. So if you wanted to use some Azure blob storage or table storage or whatever, you could connect that into the services you're using in, in AVS. Correct. Uh, Vesco, which which public cloud are you leveraging VMC in? In AWS. You're in AWS. Okay. What was the reasoning behind picking uh, AWS as the as the cloud to go with over some of the other options that are out there for VMC? We already had some applications on AWS, uh, and at the time of our selection, uh, VMware Cloud was the most mature on uh, AWS. Uh, that was a couple of years ago. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember that. That whole actually more process. than that. We started the selection probably three years ago. So, oh, yeah, I don't remember exactly when they all launched, but I know that VMware and AWS was definitely the first, and so mm -hmm. makes sense that it's the most mature of all of them at this point. Now, Vesco, those other apps you mentioned that were already in AWS, 
Um, so there, there was some proximity concerns. There are latency concerns where you needed these other apps to be able to talk to what you were going to host on VMC. No, no, they're cloud native, uh, but we were familiar with AWS uh, had uh, okay. presence production uh, infrastructure. Uh, mm-hmm. And anyway, the others were either non-existent or just uh, launched from a VMware offering perspective. I, I know there are some tie-ins between VMC and AWS and AWS, a variety of different services. Are you leveraging those or any of those interesting? Yeah, I mean, VPCs, you have to use uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, DGWs, uh, some standard constructs, but it's uh, fairly minimal. Okay. So since you adopted VMware Cloud on AWS, what's like the biggest benefit or the, or the most surprisingly awesome thing that you've enjoyed since since uh, adopting the platform? I would say uh, serving as an enabler for the next phase of our digital transformation. Having a stable, reliable infrastructure so we can treat it basically as a utility to build on. Uh, after that project was uh, over, we launched the next phase of digital transformation, uh, focusing on uh, colleague, client experience, uh, and some other uh, components of uh, digitizing business processes and so on. That wouldn't be possible without uh, having the migration first. So, Vesco, real talk here. You just cited stability of the cloud infrastructure as a big part of the reason, kind of a foundation to move on to uh, the rest of your digital transformation. Really, it's been that good, especially compared to on-prem, because if you throw enough money at it, you can make your on-prem pretty robust, too. Um, not in terms of uh, availability being more stable than on-premise, but... Uh, we don't have to worry about upgrading the cloud infrastructure, for example, yeah, uh, yeah. or the basic maintenance of the stack underneath, right? Uh, that all comes as a package from VMware Cloud. Uh, that's what I mean. Um, hmm. You don't uh, worry, for example, about your electricity or pipes, right? Yeah. Uh, you can switch providers and you still don't worry about them. You can think about uh, adding uh, automated lightning in your house. If uh, the power would go down from time to time, that wouldn't work as well, right? Or if your dorms wouldn't open when you swipe your card. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a problem. Yeah. Mari, I'm curious, since you've adopted AVS for some applications, have there been any surprising challenges you've encountered things you didn't expect uh, as you moved stuff onto the platform? So like I mentioned before, the one challenge that we really um, encountered that we were surprised by was the whole firewall issue, Um, especially when it came to applications that use like ADFS that require uh, the client IP to be transferred over. So I just just cringed a little bit when you said ADFS. (laughs) I've uh, had to deploy that solution more than once and uh, yeah, working with the network team uh, at any location where you're trying to put that in because you have the ADFS proxy and then you've got some weird rules that need to be put in place. Uh, that's challenging by itself. But you said there are some additional challenges because of the NSX firewall? Yeah, on the actual AVS um, installation. So it wasn't transferring over the client IPs. So basically it wasn't authenticating people. Um, and it okay. was one of the one of the applications that we moved from on-prem 
to the to ABS. And the reason we moved it was because we were trying to take advantage of um, the benefits of extended security updates because it was, you know, an application that was um, 2008 and they were trying to get them off of it. And it's one of those things that security is <laughs> like, hey, and our solution was let's move it to ABS because we can extend the support for a few more years and at least have a little bit more of a window of opportunity for these guys to work on uh, getting off 2008. So, Yeah, I didn't even think about that. I, I forgot about that whole extended benefit if you move it. Is it just if you move it to Azure in general? Azure AVS falls under that umbrella. Correct. Oh, that's really interesting. So a potential use case for someone in AVS could be, I just have these 2008 boxes and I need to keep them in service. Maybe if I move them to AVS, that buys me a couple of years uh, until I can. Exactly. I think it's three years from the date of the end of uh, end of life of the, or end of support of that. So I think it was end of support last year. So okay. we got an extra two years. Um, I didn't. You know, I'm not boasting the two years. I'm kind of trying to keep it to six months, but right. technically we have about two years. <laughs> Ideally, you'll get off of AD, ADFS as well and maybe use like Azure AD. We, we're, we're in the process of that as well, but that was one of the things that we bumped into because we hadn't had that issue um, until this one application was moved and, and we realized that that was an issue and we're like, oh okay, <laughs> how do we right. get around this? And we finally um, realized we just had to use our regular Juniper firewalls instead. Mario, you going back to that 70-30 ratio where you got 70% on-prem and 30% of your apps up in, uh, up in the cloud, are the benefits you're getting from your cloud-hosted apps enough that, you, that there are more in that 70% that are, you're planning to migrate to cloud? Or are you at that point where... The 7030 is kind of where you're going to be at for the long run because you just really have to have these apps on-prem for whatever reason. Um, yes and no. I think part of it is that we kind of focused on on applications that we needed um in case the the university went down. So for instance, uh, authentication for our SaaS providers, um, our website so that we could communicate, email, stuff like that. We, we really focused on those kind of applications at first and anything that's um, what I would call public facing. So any kind of web sites or web presence that we have um, is what we focused on. After that, we've kind of looked at different applications. Um, for instance, anything that has a GPU, we don't have mm -hmm. a GPU stack per se on campus. Um, like a like a virtualization stack that actually can do that. So um, we've done POCs and stuff like that for any kind of researchers that need GPUs um, in Azure because we can just spin up a server and even put it on a schedule or whatever and not have to worry about getting all this hardware that may or may not be used in the long term. So those are definitely the benefits of, of, of the cloud for us. You know, having the ability to spin up anything that we need to spin up without having to procure hardware. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Especially this day and age when procuring hardware means, uh, would you like it next year or the year after? Yeah. <laughs> Aside from that, like five months of waiting for, you know, uh, approvals and, and, and POs and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Unless yeah. you make your own chips. Yeah. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Even then, though, the, the chip, actual chip fabrication plants are, are starting to have some pretty extended lead times, like yeah. TSMC and whatnot. So even if you design and, like, send them a design, 
you, you get in line <laughs> and somebody else might leapfrog you if they got more money. <laughs> um, I'm curious, Vesco, you sort of mentioned phase two of your digital transformation. How does VMC fit into that? Is the plan to use it as like a transitional technology where you'll eventually migrate most of your apps to a cloud native? Or is it going to be sort of the steady state for a lot of your applications going forward? Steady state for a lot of applications. Uh, generally, our strategy is that for new business demand, software as a service is uh, our first choice. Mm-hmm. For things where we have intellectual property or want to control the user experience, uh, we go with uh, platform as a service. And infrastructure as a service is a maintained state. Uh, we don't develop a lot of full-stack uh, homegrown applications. It's mostly third-party applications, so they will just happily sit there. Okay, okay. So you've got this priority list, and it's sort of almost decision matrix of what should we do with, with applications. So your yeah. existing apps, sounds like most of those are just going to remain where they are as they're running. And then as new applications or new needs roll along, I should say, you'll make a decision whether to run it as SaaS, run it on platform as a service, or host it on infrastructure service. And that would kind of be the last of the three options for most of the the software, right? And we've been doing religiously annual upgrades to the major business applications. Uh, If there's a major change from the software providers and they're offering software as a service on par, uh, then we would uh, consider it. But that's out of our control. Interesting. Okay, so if uh, an application you're running internally now, they start offering it as a service, you'll you'll at least take a look at that service and see if it lines up with with what you need as a business. Though I know like yeah. with SaaS... And since it's third party, we may not even have an option if they say we no longer offer it as a on-premise application. Here's our new cloud. So you have to use that. Mm-hmm. Were there any concerns in terms of regulations you have to follow because you're in the financial services industry? Were there any concerns around that and going all in in cloud and uh, and using VMC? There are. Uh, our primary concern still is uh, preserving client data and privacy that uh, doesn't change irrespective of where the infrastructure is. Right. Uh, and uh, to that end, uh, VMware Cloud fits well because uh, hosts are dedicated to us. They're not shared. Right, right. You don't have to worry about the multi-tenancy of the, of the physical hardware. Yep. Okay. Mary, the stack the, on top, the VMware cloud uh, stack on top, the, uh, uh, all the hosts that we're buying, the, those are dedicated, right? Right. Mari, give me your long-term strategy for VMware cloud. Because a question that's come up from Ned and I on the Day 2 Cloud podcast is, do, is VMC a transition strategy for companies or like a long-term play? Do you have thoughts on that? I think um, ultimately it can be both. You know, and like I said, it really just depends on the applications you're using. Um, for us, you know, we're definitely cloud first. We try to look at, at, at SaaS models or SaaS applications first when it comes to anything that we're moving to on an enterprise level. Um, and then when it comes to the smaller department type things, we're a university and not all applications are going to be built for cloud. So that's where the on-prem and the the AVS stack come into play where we can't 
you know, either it doesn't run well in, in Azure Native or it runs better on, on a VMware environment. Um, so I think it really just depends on the, the organization and the kind of applications that they have available to them. It, it was a, it was a non-committal answer, but you justified it well when you said it can be both. Yes, it can. Uh, it really can. I mean, really, <laughs> and, and, and I mean, especially for universities and and academic um, organizations, we we're limited sometimes as to the applications that we have available to us and the the kind of support or or research and development they put into those applications. So it, it makes it kind of hard <laughs> if we if you were talking to me about like a bank or, or, or a different technology um, company or, or even a hospital, I would say it would be more clear cut, but not, not in a university environment. No, no. Uh, when I worked in higher ed, we were using this, uh, this one enterprise application. Uh, I think it was originally from Oracle maybe, uh, but it had been so heavily customized by the various teams in the university that when they did come out with an as a service version of it, there was no way to migrate just because yeah. it was that they, they tweaked this and, and added a special module here and actually changed database tables and stuff. There was no way to do it. So we just, it was a non-starter in terms of that application. Uh, so I'm sure you've gone through similar experiences with what you got down there. Uh, no, most definitely. I mean, it, it, there's just applications that, that are still written in like uh, 32-bit that can't run in Citrix or, or, or Horizon or any kind of type of uh, uh, virtual environment. So it's very difficult to, mm. to really say, oh, yeah, we're going to go all cloud native because that's just not realistic. And I think that's where um, Azure's VMware stack or VMware solution really comes into play and helps us like be able to, to still say, hey, we're in the cloud, it's resilient, it's got all this uptime, but it's still able to run in the same kind of environment that it's running on-prem. Well, we hope you enjoyed this discussion, uh, this panel discussion that we brought to you from VMworld 2021. And our thanks to VMware for sponsoring us because that that is how Ned and I feed our families. So the sponsors are pretty awesome. Hey, virtual high fives to you for tuning in. We really, really do appreciate it. And if you have suggestions for future shows, Ned and I would love to hear those things. We monitor on Twitter at Day2CloudShow. So you can tweet at that or if you can fill out the form on Ned's fancy website, nedinthecloud.com. Other ways you can keep in contact with us and with the Packet Pushers community. We have a free Slack group that is open to everyone, vendors included. Go to packetpushers.net slash Slack and join. It's a marketing-free zone for engineers to chat, compare notes, tell war stories, and solve problems together. Again, that's packetpushers.net slash Slack. And until then, just remember, cloud is what happens while IT is making other plans. <laughs>